to MFA Writers, the podcast where we talk to creative writing MFA students about their program, their process, and a piece they're working on. I'm your host, Jared McCormick. Today, I'm with Michael M.J. Jones. M.J. is a poet and parent in Oakland, California. Their work is featured or forthcoming at Anomaly, Kissing Dynamite, and Borderlands Texas Poetry Review. They are an assistant poetry editor at Foglifter Press, a journal curating queer and trans voices, and have fellowships from the Hurston Wright Foundation, Vona Voices, and Kearney Street Workshop. They are currently an MFA graduate fellow at Mills College. Today, MJ is going to read two poems for us that explore the Hart family murder-suicide. Take it away, MJ. Free Fall. Six months after my son's birth, I read of black children killed at sea. They are driven over a cliff, plummet 100 feet, until the crash is swallowed by cymbal waves. At dusk, I startle awake to their wails, my leaden body frozen in icy freefall. Oceans salt my eyes, emotions roll waves as I read six names, grief in whale song. Six months after Glory's birth, when he shot out in a tunnel of forceful sea water, I am thinking of his little feet, my palm across his chest's rise and fall. How long it might have felt this fall, a chorus of jostled bodies in Jeep's birth, sang final songs to the depths of whales. Did the Atlantic stretch to kiss Pacific Sea? Does muscle tear from bone at the force of a wave? Their feet, what remained were their feet. In nightmare, these mothers tell me this was a feat. They wax heroic, won't let these children fall into any other hands. Their crackhead mamas waved their rights, did nothing more than give birth. Neighbors see, teachers see, nurses see, six children shrink. Their skin raises like corduroy whales. They rummage through trash bins as hunger wails. The mothers make these six march in single file, feet haunted by shackles. Is that a child I see? Is there some rest that comes with the fall? Does the roaring tide feel like rebirth as bloodied bodies fold into a wave? There are child cries and seagull wails. They are drowned out by white noise waves. I churn and churn, weep ceaselessly, sea salt stings my cheeks. I ritual let tears fall as five onyx headstones sink 12,000 feet. Where do water graves make birth? For Marcus, 19. For Devante, 16. For Hannah, 16. For Jeremiah, 14. For Abigail, 14. For Sierra, 12. After the Photograph, a Jen Hart persona poem. Any tiny sliver of hope these kids had at a normal life is gone, gone, going, gone. At first there was love, the throngs hungry and grateful for a piece of something good and not so hateful, good like a black kid in a white white cop's arms. It was supposed to be beautiful, now those pieces rot and the hateful lot rises to the top like they always do and won't stop until they destroy us. 
They were made in Bible-thumping back alleyways. They were made to prey on us, bred to hate our kind. No way we can stay. They will find us if we do. Knew this shit was bad news, too good to be true. Why did he have to cry? He can't help being built that way. I know that poor thing's been through so much. Always been so sensitive, and usually I love him for it, but this embrace erased our family's safety. Just yesterday, I was about to put out the garbage from the screen door. I saw a red-haired man with a hunter's jacket on, bathed in camouflage, standing by our mailbox. We locked eyes. He opened his mouth to smile. I thought I saw things flash. He raised up his hand to peace sign at me. I thought I heard him laugh, and I slammed the door closed, pulled the curtains as I peeked from the perimeter of the window till he left, but too many minutes for my comfort. There are too many eyes again, too many plotting our demise again. What have we got ourselves into? This photograph now steals my nights away from me. Toss and turn and burn up in fever sweats. Round, smooth pebbles are dropped one by one down my throat. I struggle not to choke. Sarah is dead, asleep. Sometimes I can't stand her peace. I hate to say it, but it's true. She tells me I'm overreacting, but she's not the one with this burden. She's not the one who is here day in, day out. She do- All she does is weigh in and pout. She doesn't care an ounce about the pebbles drowning me from the inside out or the man with the fangs standing by our mailbox or the death threats we receive. All this grief from a goddamn photograph. I swear that photograph will be our fucking epitaphs. And I love Devante, but I hate that part of him too. I hate to say it, but it's true. I don't want to uproot them so soon again. But until then, they need to stay inside where I can guide them and hide them till some of this blows over and it feels like it never will. But for now, no more rallies or festivals or valleys or parks or forests. Not now, maybe not forever. These kids are never going to have a normal life. The pebbles are keeping me from breathing. I've got to get up now, got to get up, got to spit them out. But my lips are glued shut, melting together like a marshmallow. I'm choking, suffocating, cannot stay here. We have to go. I hate to say it, but it's true. I know what's best for them. With my hand, I'm able to rip my mouth open, blood seeping, then spilling, then pouring from my cracked lips. I'm able to spit up all the rocks. They come shooting and crashing to the floor. Then I see them clicking together like black magnets to form bodies, and the bodies are my children's bodies, growing hands to choke me with until I can no longer breathe. The fright of night swallows me up into its cavern, where I finally rest a while. MJ, thank you so much. That was great. Um, Thanks for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for the invite. I'm excited to talk to you as well. Just in case there are listeners who haven't heard of this story, um, I was wondering if you could explain a little bit who the Hart family was and what happened to them. Yes. So Jen and Sarah Hart um, were a lesbian couple, um, I think originally from North Dakota and they sort of made their way around. Um, and they adopted two sets of siblings from, I think Austin, Texas, um, all black children, um, around 2010, I want to say maybe a bit earlier than that. Um, and had these documented situations of abuse uh, of the children, including um, food withdrawal, physical abuse, and um, keeping the children inside the house. And um, ultimately, were sort of able to flee um, multiple CPS reports and authorities, um, eventually leading to um, Jen and Sarah Hart 
uh, driving themselves and the children off of a cliff in Mendocino in 2018, I believe. Well, I, I mean, it's a sad story to put it mildly. Um, it was one that I had heard about when it happened, but hadn't read that much about. And when I went back and read the reports and then again, reading your poems, I just, it was obviously very moving. Um, well, let's, let's start with free fall. It's an ode poem written from your own point of view. You mentioned in the poem that your child was born only six months before the death of the heart children. I'm wondering if you could talk a bit about that and what it was like to have just brought that life into the world and how I imagine that might've made the death of these children more palpable and moving for you. Um, what were you thinking about when you sat down to write this poem? What drew you to it? Yeah, I should say I have begun these poems maybe in the last year and a half. So not immediately after I heard about this story. Um, but in the immediacy of hearing about it, I was really crushed um, and became like immediately obsessed with following the details of it. Um, but yeah, in terms of my entryway into the story, it's sort of inextricable from my role as a parent and um, more importantly, a non-birth parent, somebody who adopts a child um, in a queer partnership. So there were a lot of ways that I was seeing like some mirrors, but also like very far removed and like disgusted by the story. So yeah, and just thinking about the role of what a parent is supposed to do, raising this little baby with the consciousness of um, the story, you know, I think that's really one of the grounding parts of why I want to be among the voices who speak on this um, is my role as a parent, as an adoptive parent, um, all of those things. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And I, I didn't realize that you had adopted your child as well. So I imagine, yeah, like you said, that adds an entire extra layer to this. I, you know, was partnered and assisted in the conception and everything. Um, so you know, sort of watched him grow in the belly and, um, and his uh, other parents. So no formal like adoption process, but just I think the way that um, having a like non-birth relation to a child mirrors some of the like things that I was seeing in this story. Um, so just to add a bit of clarification to that. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Um and you mentioned that you didn't write the poem right away. That was actually one of the things I wanted to ask you. Um, is that typically your process that you'll have an idea for a poem and then you'll write it, you'll think about it for a while and then write it later? Yeah, I don't know if I have a typical process for writing poems, but um, but I, it's different every time. I was just like, telling my girlfriend the other day like I haven't written a poem in like a few weeks and since then I've been writing like three a day um so I think there is though with this work in particular like sort of the storing process that comes for me um sometimes because it's like an atrocity so I don't necessarily want to look at it the moment I'm thinking about it but um yeah the story wouldn't leave me alone um I've been thinking about it for years. I know, like, excuse me, a lot of people were really haunted by this story. And that's how I would describe my relation to the work. It's a haunting. It's in the state of California, like two and a half 
hours away, um, a place that I have been to and, and have loved to go to. Um, so I think all of those things, like it's stored in my consciousness and I'm thinking about it and I've experienced a lot of the dynamics that are at play, um, that allow these women to get away with this. Um, you know, so yeah, in terms of process, I think I've, I was curious about where do I enter, you know, telling this and, like I said, it's really because I am a parent. And so that was one of the first poems I wrote for this project. And I wanted to sort of like mm, place myself in like, why am I telling this? Um, so I started with my son. Well, one of the more tragic parts of the story, I think, is related to the photograph that was taken of uh, Devante Hart, um, one of the children, during a Portland protest in 2014. Um, the protest occurred after the grand jury's de- decision not to indict the officer who killed Michael Brown. In the photo, the Hart boy is seen crying and hugging a white police officer. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you can speak to this more than I can, but the Hart family apparently received a lot of threats after that photo was published. And um, were forced to move to Washington because of it. Um, and that seems to have played some role in their spiral that led to this tragedy. Um, so the second poem you read focuses on that period and is aptly titled After the Photograph. Could you tell us some about what you've learned about this period in their lives through your research and why you chose to focus on it in your poem? <laughs> This is my thesis project, which is unfortunate because it means it's very deadline driven. So I think there were, (laughs) there was a period of time this summer where I was just churning them out. Um, You know, and as you know, this summer, there were another wave of protests for George Floyd um, and the number of black men, women, and people who have been murdered by the police this year. Um, you know, or state sanctioned violence. So it was a very like alive moment. And I see this photograph retweeted, reshared as a way to try to pacify uprising and protests. And it like fills me with such a rage because they are not allowing this child to rest. They don't know the story behind this. Um, and it's just like, makes me unspeakably angry, um, because I know, and a lot of other people know, um, what happened likely potentially in a forceful gesture encouraged by his mom's, this hugging of the police officer, or like, you know, we don't know, and I can't enter his consciousness or ask him, but you know, the tears could be about Darren Wilson and Michael Brown. They could be about here is somebody that's supposed to protect me, but I'm seeing that that doesn't happen actually um, with black folks. And I just want to be safe. Um, You know, we don't know what was happening for him in the photo. Um, And so to see that used over and over again, and people don't know that he's, you know, um, we can assume murdered with the rest of um, his siblings, but it's 
it's enraging. Um, it's an enraging, enraging concept to begin with to say like, be quiet. You're being quiet about how you're being, you're being too loud about how you're being killed actually. So we need to pacify you with this image. Um, you know, so I will say like, that was the, I write about it from different angles. Um, and I wanted to like a lot of the poems in this project are persona. Um, and a lot of them are Jen Hart's persona. Um, and I can talk about like my choices for that in a while, but, um, you know, there's this sort of like really interesting sort of narcissistic character, but, um, she posts the things right and then it becomes like we're being hunted but you're intentionally putting yourself in the spotlight and with somebody was very active on social media and outspoken about racial justice and all this kind of stuff um you know so she is posting all these things and you know i think it's likely they did receive you know hatred I've been, um, you know, I used to write articles for Everyday Feminism, and I had trolls, you know? Um, So that's a real part of posting things online, Uh, (laughs) you know? So I I had to reach deep to figure out, like, where is my sense of empathy in complicating this person a little bit? What I, like, assume happened was there is a sense of paranoia um, and... uh, victimizing like victimhood um even though you're the one sharing the content and continue to share content after that so i can like you know yes i know what it's like to receive threats and things like that but all of their um sort of moving and whatnot was to evade authorities um as far as i am convinced what i was trying to do is like understand um what you're thinking about, like, you know, immediately after that happened. Um, and so I wanted to capture like this sense of like victimization and then the real fear and then the overwhelm of raising six children. Um, that's where I was coming at with this. And I should also add one of my great poetic inspirations for this project is the poet I, who's really well known for these like dramatic monologues and um, entering the consciousness of serial killers and all kinds of people. So that's what I spent my summer reading. It was really intense. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's interesting that you bring up how you had to push yourself to find empathy for her, because when I read the poem, I did feel that there was empathy in the poem for this person. But then you mentioned earlier also that, um, some at least of your motivation for writing the poem came from a place of anger, seeing what was happening. Um, So maybe you can talk a bit about that first, just does anger, can anger be a place, a good place to write from a good motivating factor for poetry? And does it make it harder to find the empathy? You know, I think it's so interesting because we talk about um, processes all the time where I like ask other writers what their processes are and there is no linear process for this project. Um, So I will say like, yes, I am angry, disgusted, like all of the things, you know, um, and um, 
the poems are writing me and telling me like what it is that I need to think about or um, what I need to extract. So yeah, I'll say that um, anger is righteous to me and it's, um, it's well placed in this story because it's a very angering thing. And like I said, um, seeing the way that these children have been used and the mothers have been left off the hook because they're white um frankly like that's the the system in which they exist as two white women allowed them to do this um there is never any way that um even the birth mothers of these children could come away unscathed with um you know far less documented abuse they are taken away at actively trying to get them back so yeah i'm pissed and um if my overall goal is to indict them and the larger systems, it can't be an easy indictment, you know, um, because I would write like five poems and be done. I'm pissed and angry about this and this and this and this, and we're finished. And we know like that's not really what happened. Um, I think in some twisted way, um, Jen considered this a very loving act. Um, It did love her children in a way. So it's like, yes, I want to explore that and that like love is not enough to erase the fact that they were probably deeply racist. They probably, you know, we know that. So we know that they existed in a system that allowed them to get away with this. So, you know, I think the issue I've had with the way I've seen this written or spoken about before is that, you know, it's always from a white perspective and it's always um, sort of, well, of course they like loved their children they weren't monsters, you know, it's a real like, uh, but Mike Brown wasn't no angel, you know, so it's just like, (laughs) uh, it's absurd. So and I think the last thing I'll say about why I've chosen to do a lot of persona, in all types of persona, which I'm not going to spoil yet. I can't remember what interview this was for. But Patricia Smith, who is like, one of the greatest poets ever, um, was talking about recent work in incendiary art or blood dazzler and in blood dazzler she enters the persona of hurricane katrina and writes from um the voice of the hurricane which is amazing i highly recommend um and she talks about what is the unexpected entryway into the story i'm black i'm a parent i'm queer i'm a non-birth parent who has adopted children um, and so the, the expected entryway is for me to, um, come from a place of anger and that's it and we're done. Um, but what I'm finding through persona is that like things are, are being revealed to me and I'm learning, which I think is really fun. Um, but, and so in like entering this persona of somebody that I would despise, I think is going to be an effective tool to more deeply indict them, which is my goal. Well, I mean, uh, it's incredibly interesting to try to enter the mind of someone who you feel like you can't relate to or that you even despise in some way. Um, I find incredibly fascinating. Um, And 
I wanted to ask you about the ode poem and the persona poem. Um, for any listeners who are novices to poetry like I am, um, maybe you could explain those a little bit more. And and what I'm curious mostly is like, do you decide beforehand that you're going to do a persona poem and then you write a persona poem? Or do you start writing and then decide, oh, this is going to be a persona poem? Yeah, so... I'm interested in writing odes to the children. Um, and I've begun that, which feels actually the hardest to do because it's so filled with grief um, and sorrow and wanting to properly bury and honor these children. I have, at least for now, made a decision to not enter the persona of the children because I think about the ways they were so their voice was taken, you know? And so I made that like really clear choice. So it's actually probably the last poems I'm going to write. Um, so I want their voice um, and their story to be present, um, but I'm not using the vehicle of their voice to do that. So I'll write a, an ode for each of the children and odes for my son and how I'm thinking about this. Um, and that's like, the beauty and reprieve and honor and, you know, sort of spiritual shepherding of the children I want to do in the project. Um, you know, so ode poetry, you know, love letters, anything. And, um, persona, um, I'm a poetry novice too. So I just like, I will talk about it, how I know generally entering the perspective of another, um, could be like, a fictional character that I've made up or, um, you know, a figure or another person, um, or another part that resides within me that I need to talk to more. Um, and writing the, you know, it can be like dramatic monologues and plays can be good inspiration for personas. Um, you know, or, you know, if I see somebody walking down the street, I'm fictionalizing, um, you know, I think, with this story, because we have some known facts about them, I'm going off of facts that we've seen, um, you know, but I'm also fictionalizing to make the person my own and my own understanding. So it's an interesting process, but I think, you know, there certainly will be a poem or two where I'm like, you know, I'm just full expression of my anger. Um, but I think I'm wanting to take a, multi-tiered approach and I'm really excited to keep exploring. <laughs> um, and yeah, I was going to ask you about your research. Um, I was thinking about some of these images in the poem, like the, the camouflaged man with the fangs in his mouth that you described. And um, I was curious if that was something you had read about, like people coming to their house in that way, or if that was more like fictionalized. I feel like I don't know how that got in my consciousness. Um, but I think the point is that there are like real and imagined things that are going on. And it's sort of like blurring the line and she's in this really frantic space. Um, and for now, this like, I mean, this is based on a person, but is my character. So like within these poems so far, and I think within real life, um, is at times very calculated. Um, so that's when I'll like bring in a sonnet or, um, 
you know, an acrostic poem or these really like tight forms in Jen's voice are very calculated and planful and like scheming. Um, and then there's this part that becomes like really unmoored, um, which is maybe like in the poem that I read. And so, yeah, I, I blend in like research, meaning I look on like Facebook for things that they've posted or Reddit and all these, uh, you know, I don't think there's any JSTOR articles about this yet because it's still a fairly recent, um, news story or I'll watch like that terrible heart documentary on YouTube, um, you know, or the investigative reports from the crash or, um, coroner's reports or all these like really lighthearted things. Um, you know, it's a, and that enters my, my consciousness, um, along with like the poetics of persona along with whatever details I need to fictionalize, um, or make up, you know? So you just never really know with Jen Hart, like, if the things that she was posting about actually happen, you know, because part of it is that she like made this sort of happy looking family while we know that there was torture going on. Um, so I wanted to, in this poem, like have some, like a balance of like empathy, but make it clear that like she is seeing herself as the victim in this situation, um, which she is also known to do. Yeah, and I think that totally comes through in the poem. Um, and yeah, that is so interesting. The fact that Jen was so active on social media. So you're going back and actually looking at things that she posted um, and using that as inspiration and research as well. Mm-hmm. Using that as inspiration, as found language for erasure and poem. I'm just having fun. I mean, as weird as that sounds to for a project like this, but... Um, I think it does have like so much potential for how it's told and uh, you know, a lot of pressure too. Cause I'm like, this has to be done like very intricately and carefully. Um, but, and probably will be a year's project beyond my time at Mills definitely will be. Um, so yeah, going back and because I also want to ground myself in like how these people spoke, um, what they talked about, what's their tendency to um, basically bullshit on Facebook. Um, so yeah, definitely like Facebook posts and, you know, looking up like what did their family say about it, you know, just anything. Um, and then sort of letting my mind go from there. Yeah. Well, it's it's fascinating stuff. And there are just so many layers to this story that it, it, it does seem like uh, a like a really interesting subject to tackle for your thesis, which you're working on at Mills. Um, let's go ahead and talk about Mills a little bit. Uh, the Flex Res MFA in creative writing at Mills College is pretty unique. Um, according to the website, Mills offers a new kind of MFA in creative writing that enables you to earn a degree in poetry or prose your way. Um, in addition to the traditional in-person class offerings that you would find at other MFA programs, Mills has online courses that can be taken year round, um, but their flex res name comes from the fact that students can complete some or all of their degree through one-on-one work with a faculty mentor in a portfolio-based flex MFA curriculum um, that lets students be on campus as much or as little as they desire, which sounds super interesting to me. Um, So they say this allows students to earn an MFA from anywhere in the world. What drew you to Mills? 
Yeah. Um, so I can speak to my experience. The Flex MFA was a new option that was added at the start of this year. So um, it's something I have a little bit less familiarity with, but I will be like finishing my final semester in the Flex MFA. So I can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I was really impressed sort of by the like diversity of faculty and the diversity of students. So my MFA search was location specific um, to the Bay Area. So I applied to these programs and got into all of them. And I knew I wanted to, this is so sad to say now, I I knew I wanted to do an in-person program, Uh, (laughs) like brick and mortar classroom learning in person, um, which is obviously not the case. Yeah, but I think I was attracted to like the opportunity to take really creative electives and um and also I think Mills does a really good job of bringing in you know how to like prepare career-wise um so there's a whole like section of um you know community events that are attached to the program um, where folks come in and talk about publishing experience or, um, do you want to attend a PhD program? Um, you know, things like that, that are not like solely based in like learning how to write, um, or read, but also like, how are we going to prepare you? So I appreciated those things about Mills. So were you able to take some in-person classes before the pandemic started? Yeah. Um, so I took my whole first year in person until about March uh, when all hell broke loose. Um, but yeah, I started my first year in person. Yeah, I can commiserate with you because uh, one of the real appeals for me was to be in person in the room doing workshops. Um, and to have that taken away has been really sad. Um but it does seem like one of the draws for Mills is, is their online classes, whether they're in a pandemic or not. So do you find that um, other students who came to Mills planning on taking online classes, classes are enjoying their experience? Um, is the faculty pretty good at doing online classes at this point? Yeah, I can't so much speak to like other students in the online component because my cohort um, kind of came in, we're all like in person. I think there might be like a few folks I know who are doing the flex option, but I haven't talked to them about how it is. Um, So I think like a lot of people prefer the um, traditional workshop. Um, I am about to like do sort of independent study with one of the professors this upcoming semester so we'll see how that goes um but yeah i think it's one of the like unique program offerings and we have like students who are in pakistan and india like who couldn't join us or um you know different parts of the u.s so um yeah i think it will be interesting and cool to see if that continues um so in a normal year uh, are most of the students at Mills in person in the MFA program? I want to say yes. Um, so the Mills MFA, we also have like um, master's in literature students in addition to the creative writing program. So sometimes we get to interact across those programs. And I think most folks decided to like be in person when we could. Um, and like about how many people are usually in a workshop at Mills? workshop ranges from like 12 to 15, which is feeling big. Um, but yeah, usually like around 12. 
Well, you mentioned that you're getting ready to do the um, one-on-one flex portfolio option um, in the coming year. I'm really curious about it. So I know you haven't done it yet, but like, what do you know about it? What could you tell us about this option and what you've heard from other students who have done it? Let's see. So I'll be taking the normal workshop, the thesis, which is just writing all semester. Um, and the flex option comes in. I wanted to like work one-on-one with a faculty member to design what I wanted to study because (laughs) I'm just very picky. Like I don't want to encounter things that I've read before. So I want to work with, um, a faculty person to delve more into like plays and, um, dramatic monologues and persona things and like design our own syllabus basically on and craft craft essays and things like that, that I might not be getting in other classes. Um, cause at this point I'm like, I know what I want, know what I like came here to get. And I would like to maximize my last semester. So, um, yeah, I'll have those like a mixture basically, um, of the normal workshop and then this like sort of independent study thing. Um, and then I'm also, (laughs) as part of my fellowship supposed to launch these community workshops as well sometime in the spring. So I'm going to be very busy. Well, let's talk a bit about the community at Mills. The website claims that community is at the heart of everything we do as one of the most diverse creative writing programs in the country. Our community is rich with multiple forms of knowledge, experience, and ways of seeing the world. Would you agree with this? How's your experience been from a community standpoint? Absolutely agree. Um, And (laughs) I had this like viral tweet a few months ago that was just like, you know, I was just like, I tweeted something like, I thought my MFA program was going to look like, I don't know, I thought it was going to be a white program. And then I walked in, (laughs) it's just all these black people. So I was like, yes, okay. I'm like where I'm supposed to be. Um, which I think is like important for a sense of community and also like, am I going to be understood in the ways that I need to, um, you know? And so I think like the benefit of that is that, you know, I mean, it's not all black people, but there's a lot, you know, and a lot of other folks of color, um, and folks from international places as well. And so I think there's opportunities to really like, you know, hear other folks' stories. And I think Mills has a focus on like, you know, no bullshit in terms of like things around identity that are not cool. Um, They have like very intentional conversations at the beginning to, um, you know, sort of understand like how do we um, workshop in a way that like respects and affirms who that person is and don't say triggering shit in a workshop. Um, which I think I would say is mostly the case. Um, I haven't had like too many issues. So I think I will say that was something that I will take away is like bonds, bonds with the people like, like we are going to far surpass the time outside of the program. Um, you know, and they like push me and help me grow and they gonna be honest if something is not working, you know? So I really do agree with the diversity of students and also faculty as well. Um, you know, uh, I don't, you know, there are folks who are queer that I can like talk about queer things with and, um, black faculty I can talk about black things with. And, um, you know, and there's also like, 
this is not like identity, but a diversity of like backgrounds that folks are coming with in terms of faculty. So you have like folks who've like studied critical race theory and that enters their work in poetics. Um, folks who study different time periods of writing, um, you know, so I also like, I'm like, okay, I can go to Elmas when I want to like learn about teaching pedagogies and I go to, uh, Professor Spar if I want to like read Rimbaud or some obscure shit from the 19th century or like dramatic plays or Antigone or whatever. So, you know, I do like that, um, about our program. Yeah. I was going to ask if the, if the diversity was, um, in the faculty as well as the students. So I'm really, I'm really glad to hear that that's the case. And also it sounds like the faculty is pretty open. And, um, um, do you get a lot of one-on-one time? Do you feel comfortable like reaching out to faculty and talking to them, um, about any issues you have? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's definitely folks I've connected with more, um, you know, Elmaz Abanader, I knew, um, before coming to Mills, which is also another draw, um, you know, but yeah, I feel like they are accessible. Um, I get different things from different folks. So I appreciate that generally speaking, um, folks are kind, you know, and are, uh, understanding what's going on at this time and being compassionate and flexible. That's great. Um, yeah, it sounds like a a simple thing to ask for, just some kindness and compassion, but it's just, it's not always the case. So I'm, I'm glad it is for you at Mills. Um, so an important thing for a lot of um, potential applicants is funding. And I want to talk about that with Mills. Um, on the website, it says that they want cost to, to not be a barrier that prevents talented, promising students from experiencing the best that Mills has to offer. Um, do you think the school is living up to this claim? Uh, no. <laughs> And I think in general with the MFA programs in the Bay Area, at least, that was a problem. Like, the financial aid packages were just like, is ridiculous. Um, And I know that at least Mills, they offer like a few coveted spots, the MFA program specifically, they offer like a few coveted spots where folks can have different fellowships, putting on community events or um, like TA positions that can help offset the cost, but like, yeah, I mean, I think it is a barrier to talented writers because, I mean, we have like mad talented writers, so let me not say that. Um, but I, yeah, it's a problem. And I don't, um, one of the things, cause I have my, I had a first grad degree that I did pay for at least partially. Um, and then with this grad degree, I was like, I'm not paying, I'm not paying to go. Um, you know, so I happen to be fortunate enough to get the community engagement fellowship, um, which is a full tuition fellowship, but then it's like, there becomes a sense of inequity and like, they've tried to now like divide those a little bit differently in the future, but it still doesn't like come to at all covering the actual cost of the program. So yeah, it's not, it's no shade to mills because i think a lot of programs in the bay area just like don't fund their students to go um which i don't really believe in so um i think especially if you're getting like these talented folks of color and especially if you go and use them to be like look at how diverse we are then you need to pay me to go 
or cover the cost. So uh, I don't know who you need to talk to, but that's the like one of the things that I was just like, this doesn't feel great, but it's also not only specific to this program. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, there are a lot of schools that are going through financial issues right now that make funding difficult or weird. But I completely agree with you. If the school's going to tout their diversity and their inclusivity, then they need to back it up with um, actually funding students. Um, I know you work multiple jobs. You're living in the Bay Area where it's expensive. You said you got the fellowship that covered tuition, but does it cover anything other than tuition? Do you get a stipend? No stipend. Um, And what's difficult about it is that it does require me to finish in full-time manner. So two years, (laughs) which has just been like, okay, Uh, which would be doable if that were all I had to do, right? Um, That's the other thing I was going to say about the funding. Like if you're going to dare have a program of any kind that's in the Bay Area, then you need to pay for things because people are already paying $10,000 a month in rent, okay? Um, But yeah, I, you know, am a funded student. I feel like really grateful for that. And I'm just like, you know, we need to figure this out. Um, All of the things, I have a full-time job, I have some side hustles, I'm involved in like little money streams here and there. Um, But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot. It's hard, I think, mostly like just because of the amount of things that I do. Um, you know, uh, I begin to be resentful then of my full-time job because I'm just like, I want to be immersed in this, um, in a way that I like can't because I need to work and care for my kiddo and do all these things. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I have, I have like written down here that you're working multiple jobs and you're a parent and you're going to school. So essentially you're a superhero. I don't want to go before, um, talking about being a parent in an MFA program. And um, so I'm curious if, if Mills um, does a good job of supporting you as a parent. Um, and then also if you just have any advice to people who are considering applying to MFA programs and specifically for any parents who are considering applying to MFA programs. Well, one, Mills is fantastic. Um, I think just in general of understanding folks' circumstances. Um So there have been times I needed to bring glory to class, uh, you know, physically. And he certainly has been like in the background and I've been like, glory, you know, or whatever, like, and people understand that, I think. So I think it's definitely doable. um, And they love our kids. So um, and I think the Mills campus even has like parent resources as well that are pretty explicit. So um you know, I, there was one day I was just like, I was exhausted. I had to bring him to the campus and we were just like sleeping in the lobby and somebody who worked there was just like, you know, we have this like resource center that you can go sit in. Like, it's okay. I was like, Oh, thank God. Um, you know? So, and I think also like my parenting situation is unique cause I have like um, a dissolution of relationship and then co-parenting and co-parenting during a pandemic. So I feel like it's more stressful than like some other situations. And so I think sometimes the stress of that is harder than actual parenting. Um, but yeah, I, I would say advice wise, um, 
you know, just get your community, it takes the community to raise a child, as they say, um, you know, um, ask about it in the admission process. Like, is this going to be a problem if I like can't attend like certain classes that have a, cause I need to pick my kid up or like they have day school now on the, on the zoom or whatever, um, you know, get the specifics, but, um, it's doable. And often like, children are wonderful muses, you know, my son turns three next week and it's just like really fun. You know, I would just say like, you know, pick a program that's going to be understanding of different life circumstances or even like caregivers that have to care for other folks, um, in their lives as well. So I think Mills is great for that. It's a compassionate place to be. Well, uh, I have to say I'm I'm quite in awe of you that you're able to manage all of this and write such beautiful poetry and raise a child with a beautiful name, Glory. I love it. Um, thank you so much for for taking the time to talk to me when I know you don't have a lot of time. Yeah, of course. It was really, you know, really great to... I, yeah, I just like... I have been feeling sort of grumpy about grad school because I'm just like, we're in this zoom world and everything. So this was a time to be like, actually like really grateful uh, and reflect some of the things I love about it. So it was actually great for me too. And um, to think about, you know, a project I'm working on too in new ways. So appreciations to you. Thank you.